I'm telling you. Now, for, for, those, for, for those women in the house that always says my wife dresses me, because she even told me I look nice today, she didn't pick this out. I got up and dressed myself this morning. <laughs> I knew you ladies get a big kick out of that. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious alive. Oh, we had a wonderful night at the ministry center last night. Oh, it was an awesome night. Praise the Lord. You know, every night should be so blessed. Every night is this blessed, you know. But last night, uh, as all of you know, you know, that uh, Dave and Yesha had been expecting a baby, you know. And uh, so last night about uh, 6 o'clock, we were getting ready to go out for dinner. And uh, I said, uh, how are you feeling? She said, great. I said, you feel any different? No. You know, I said, when do you think the baby's going to be born? She said, well, I don't know. You know, but said... They said, it'll be born when it's on its birthday. I said, okay. <laughs> I believe that. So Cheryl and I go to dinner. We're out for two or three hours or whatever. And then I come home, and when I walk in the front door, they said, well, we got a baby girl. I said, praise the king. Wow. Now then, you talk about a difference. Now, all of you know, two years ago, we went through a tremendous trauma with her first baby. You know, I mean, it was awful. She was in pain for hours and hours and hours. And then after the baby was born, she bled profusely. And they finally called me and he says, uh, do you know where our hospital's at? See, we have these babies at home. And uh, I said, yes, I know where our hospital's at. He said, well... Where can you meet me? He said, I'm going to have, we're going to have to take Yesha to, to a hospital. I said, okay. So we, I meet him at a certain place and I drive exactly the speed limit, 65 miles an hour, because I am a man of faith and I don't never get into fear. If I'd have drove 80 or 90 miles an hour, that would have been an indication I live in fear and I don't live there. I know my king is in control. So we drove 65 till we got to the hospital. You know, we had this baby, but we could not, this placenta would not deliver. And so we, they go in, and of course, the, they want to take the baby. Well, Grandma has the baby, and they said, let us have the baby. And she said, there's nothing wrong with the baby. We don't want you to touch the baby. I'll take care of the baby. And so Grandma held the baby. We go in, and they start checking her. A doctor comes in, and he looks at her and everything, and then he says, Well, we will try this, and if it works, you know, maybe the placenta will come out and everything will be normal. But said, if it don't work, then we might have to pull it out, and then if that don't work, we might have to go in and do a full DNC, and if that don't work, we might have to do a full hysterectomy. When I heard him say, I said, That's it! That's it. We ain't listening to no more nonsense. I stood up and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, that thing's coming out in Jesus' name. I said, now, doctor, get a hold of that thing and pull it out. I guarantee it's coming out. And he got up, and of course, the Word of God says, we're not supposed to look on anybody's nakedness. So Cheryl and I turned our back and went over in the corner, and the doctor grabbed hold that placenta, and it just came right out. And then he turned and he said, man, I need you to pray for me all the time. See, when you're a real man of faith. But now see, when Dave got home, Dave petitioned the Lord. 
He said, Lord. I mean, he was on his knees beside that, her bed, you know, when she was bleeding so profuse. God, if there's something I've done wrong, Lord, what have I done? What has brought this on like this? And finally, the Lord answered him and said, Dave, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. You know, yeah, you know my word, and you're trying your best to stand on my word, but said, there's no intimacy between me and you. I don't know who you are. That's why your wife's having all these problems with this delivery. Well, let me tell you, that changed day forever. He started spending that intimate time with God. I mean, he tries to give God at least two and a half hours of intimacy every day since that day. And we have prayed over that. And last night, like I say, at 6 o'clock from 6.30, we was getting ready to go to dinner. I said, how do you feel? She said, oh, great. No problem. When do you think she's going to be born? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't have any symptoms. I said, Okay. So we left to go to dinner, and shortly thereafter, she began to feel a little movement, and she told him, so I think we ought to call the midwife and have them come out here. So the midwives, two of them, they came out, and when I got back from dinner, the midwives got out there. In an hour and 15 minutes after they got there, they had a beautiful baby girl, and the placenta came right out, and there was absolutely not a single complication. The little girl <clears throat> was a beautiful, no complication, quick delivery. But the difference between this year and last year, Dave, the daddy, had an intimate relationship with the king this last year. And that made the difference. When you know the king, then you can ask him for things and he will do it. Now, the baby was born Saturday, December the 30th. I started to say, wow, this is not right. I know better than this. It was born Saturday, but it wasn't. It was December the 30th, and it was born at 9.38. That's right. And it was a little bitty tiny girl. She only weighed nine pounds and six ounces. And there was absolutely no tearing or nothing of the mother. The mother was born, I mean, produced this baby with no complication. Now, you tell me that... A mama can bring forth a nine-pound, six-ounce baby girl in an hour's time with no tearing or nothing and virtually no pain. I mean, this girl's learned how to walk in faith, hasn't she? Praise the Lord. Twenty and a half inches long. He was a, she was a long little, she was a half inch longer than little John, which was born a couple of years ago. And the mother, the daughter, and the grandmother are magnificently, fantastically wonderful, and Daddy is trying to improve rapidly. <laughs> well, I don't know at this point. <clears throat> I, 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 I cannot give you a name because if I say anything, you'll go say that's her name. But I don't know. When I left this morning, they had not named her yet. So I don't know what the name is. So at this point, I don't know. But I do know she is a beautiful little girl and I was the first one to get to see her after Grandma and the midwives and all that stuff. They brought her out. Of course, Kathy, Cheryl, when I, she called me, uh, I, she was over at her daughter's restaurant last night. And so I came home to study. And when she called me at uh, about, I don't know, 10 o'clock, I guess it was, whatever it was. And I said uh, something. I said, like, uh, this is the uh, TLFM hospital. And she said, what? I said, this is the birthing center. She said, what? I said, we got a new baby. She said, oh, and then she said, have you called everybody yet? I said, no, I hadn't called nobody yet. <clears throat> the second grandma, I guess you might call me and her. It's grandma and grandpa, they call us Papa T and, and Grandma Cheryl, you know, so Mama Cheryl, whatever. 
because, you know, we're like our grandmother and grandfather to the whole bunch out there, you know, all of them. And we're grateful that we can be that. Well, we're, we're trying to be godly men and women to everybody out there. And we're seeing the Lord do some great things. Now, I will tell you that Dave has really produced a great walk of faith. <clears throat> and ever since his magnificent healing from his incurable lifelong disease, which he had had, whenever he met me and I told him, <clears throat> I said, if you will do what God tells you to do, I will guarantee you the king will heal you. And Dave, as a computer science engineer running computers for Nortel, you know, doing a whole lot of stuff with them, working with their software, I guess that they used all over the world, <coughs> he is a very brilliant man. But we have a lot of brilliant men in this place. He was He's one of them. But he didn't know the Word of God. He didn't know how to get healed. But the doctors told him it was impossible. But when he met me, I showed him from God's Word what he needed to do to get, <coughs> to get his healing. And he did it. And it took him a while. And for those of you that have not experienced this, we have a DVD back there called Sickness is Satanic Oppression. And the first hour of it is his testimony with living, vivid colors of what he looked like in the two years it took him to get his healing. So, I mean, you know, when people think God's not the healer, they don't know who He is. They don't know His Word. They don't know who He is. They just, they, just like I was most of my life, had no idea who God really is. But anyway, today, I want us to get in the Word. <clears throat> I've got some, we got some things here that somebody asked me what I was going to teach on today. And I said, well, unless God changes my mind, you know, and I have had Him do this. It's amazing how God has done this. I've walked up here before and opened my outline, and then all of a sudden the Lord will say, no, that's not what I want you to teach today. But so far he hadn't done that today. So anyway, we're going to go. We're going to be in two books today. We're going to be in the book of Job a little bit, and we're going to be in the book of Hebrews a little bit. So I want you to turn in your Bible to Job 33, <clears throat> and I'm going to read just a little bit here out of Job 33. We'll start about with verse 12, I guess. In the verses up above that in the book of Job, Job's talking about how he has been innocent. A lot of us cry out like that. In uh, the book of Job, you know, when we see, uh, maybe in about verse 11, I think, is where Job starts here. He says, you have, Elihu is talking. He said, you have said in my hearing, now this is, he's heard Job say these things. And many of us hear people talk. And, you know, I used to didn't understand what made people sick until I read the Word of God in detail. And then when I read the Word of God in detail, I learned what makes people sick. I mean, I, it's in here. I'm telling you, it's so simple, and it's in here. But the average person don't believe it. And the average grown person doesn't believe it. And the average young person, not just average, I will say virtually every young person I know that's under 20 years of age, 
You can show them in the Word of God what it means, and they still won't believe it. You can tell them, and their sensual desires overrun them so powerfully that they're not going to believe that this book is true. This is just an old book. No, this is not just an old book. This is your owner's manual for life. And every one of us is going to live around this book, whether you believe it or not. This is what's going to control your life. The God of this book. I mean, just think. When we say the wrong things, and we don't think that words are important. I used to not think words had power. I didn't think my words had power. But now I know that's not true. I know my words rule where I live. That's just like Ty was telling me the other day. Of course, you know, this, like this baby was born yesterday, born on a great day because she and I have the same birthday. You know, she was born on my birthday. Dave told me last night, he said, you, Papa T, he said, you won't never, ever be able to let another birthday slide by. He said, because my great, my baby being born on my daughter being born on your birthday, we'll tell her and said, man, she will remember this and said, you know, you always like to let them slide, but she won't never let you forget it. She's going to say, Papa T, it's my birthday and you and me are going to have a birthday party. <laughs> so praise the Lord. But our words are so powerful. And as Ty told me, whenever, of course, you know, I'm my birthday yesterday, and I was 68 yesterday, praise the Lord. But I'm still just a young guy, you know, and praise God, you know, just a youngster. But anyway, Ty said, the reason I can do what I can do, and because I feel so young, is because I have said so many times with my mouth, I'm young. I can do all things through Christ. He hears me say that all the time. He never hears me speak, oh, I'm getting old, I'm tired, I'm wore out, I can't do this. No, he, you don't hear me say that, do you, Ty? No, it don't come out of my mouth. It comes out of a lot of young people's mouths, but it doesn't come out of mine because I've learned what this says. Now, look what he says here. Uh, Elihu's saying, Job, you have said in my hearing, I have heard your very words. You said, I am pure. I am innocent. Now, this is the NLT that I'm reading out of, by the way. I have not sinned. God is picking a quarrel with me, and He considers me to be His enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks, and He watches over every move I make. Now, how many of you have ever thought God was doing you like that? How many of you thought, hey, I have done nothing wrong. Why am I sick? Why am I having a bad day? And somebody says, well, you know, that's just the way it is. No, that's not just the way it is. You know, when you read this book in detail, you find out if you do what this book says, God promises to bless you. He promises to make everything you do prosper. But you've got to do it His way. And I've come to realize I didn't know what sin was. But when I read this book, just like Paul said, I read the law, then I knew what sin was. Before I knew the law, I didn't know what sin was. But now that I've read it, I know what sin is. And I know I've got to change. I've got to change. Now look what he says here. He says, In this you are not right, and I will show you why. As you yourself have said, God is greater than any person. How many of you believe that? 
God is greater than anybody. He knows everything. So why are you bringing a charge against him? Now, like I've said many times, if you're sick or you're having difficulties in your life, it's not God's problem. It's your problem. You're the one that's not doing what he says. He knows your heart. And you can't hide anything from the king. He knows the intent of your heart. You may be looking at me smiling, and you may be like the little boy. The little boy at home, his mother said, Son, I told you to sit down in that corner because you've been a bad boy. So he goes over and he sits down. His little friend comes by and says, well, What are you doing? He said, Well, I'm sitting down because Mama told me, but he said, I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> See? He might have been physically sitting down, but he was a rebellious little critter. He was standing up on the inside. See, well, God knows when you're rebellious. He knows when you're standing up on the inside. Or He knows when you've humbled yourself said, Okay, Lord, I have sinned. I will sit here and I will humble myself and I'll, I'll take my punishment. And then we'll get up and I know you'll forgive me and I'll go do something better. I'll go do something different. He knows, doesn't He? Yeah, He knows. Guarantee the King knows. So, if he says, so why are you bringing a charge against him? You say, he does not respond to people's complaints. But God speaks again and again through people, though people do not recognize it. Boy, is that true. If I ever seen a perfect time, a perfect example right here in this church of people that have heard God's voice. And I know every one of you, every one of you have heard His voice. But we have a couple right here in this church, and I've told this story several times, but I'm, it's a perfect place to tell it again. How many of you know that you have heard God speak to you, and you know you heard God talk? Okay. Near, that's not all of you, but that's most of you. Now then, if you did not hold up your hand you have not learned how to listen to God yet. If you're not sure you've heard Him and you're a Christian, then you've not learned how to listen to God because God talks to you. I mean, He will talk to you. I mean, He will talk to you and He'll talk to you in many ways. One of the ways He speaks to you is through your thoughts. I mean, you'll think, that's my thought. Just like this couple sitting right here I was going to tell you about just a few years ago, I don't know how many years ago, but they were out there on the highway, on the freeway, and she was sitting in the van, and he was up front putting gas in another person's car, and there was a van between them, and all of a sudden, he heard the Lord say, get out from between the cars. Now, what are you going to do with that? Just a little thought that comes to your mind. Get out from between the cars. I'm putting gas in the car, Lord. Can't you see what I'm doing? Yeah, he saw what you were doing. That's why he said, get out from between the cars. So this gentleman sit, walked over, into the median and got out from between the cars. Now, his lovely bride, which is sitting in a van back behind another van, at the same time she heard the same voice say, get out of the van. She gets out of the van, walks out into the median, and then all of a sudden she's standing out here and she thinks, she begins to rationalize. What am I doing out here? Well, I bet what she's doing out there, she's obeying God's voice. But then she starts rationalizing. Why am I out here? And so she goes back opens the driver's door, and gets in. And the Lord speaks to her again said, if you're going to get back in, at least don't get on the passenger side. So she stopped. And about that time, a drunk doing 85 miles an hour hits the back of her van, 
and a toolbox in the back. If she had moved over just a few more inches, a toolbox went right over the top of the seat, went through the windshield, through the back glass and the back doors of the other van, all the way to the other van, and I guarantee it would have taken her head completely off. It did break her neck anyway. It broke her neck. Now, why did she get that broken neck? Because of disobedience. Now, they took her to the hospital, X-rayed broken neck, Everybody begin to pray for her, and you talk about a mighty and gracious and wonderful and forgiving God. By the next morning, she was completely healed, and today is still alive and was sitting right here in this service today. And there she sits right there. But now, you need to learn to hear God. And you need to learn that the King's talking to you. And when He talks to you, you need to learn to obey what He's saying. I mean, obey. I mean, don't even think twice. If God tells you to do something, just do it. I mean, I've had the Lord since I've learned how to listen and train myself to listen to God's voice. I mean, I have learned how the Lord talks to me and how the enemy talks to me. The other day, when we were talking about the enemy talking to you, just some of you know, just a few weeks ago, we were we flew down, all of us, a whole, a whole ministry team flew down to talk to a Baptist preacher that had a death experience in 1979 that was dead. I mean, dead. And he got to go to heaven and we got to sit and talk to this man for all day long. And he, he shared with us about his spiritual revelations that God gave him while he was dead. But the man said, at a, at a mid-aged man, because he was in disobedience to what God wanted him to do, an artery severed in his body somewhere and blood began to pour into him. And before they could get him to the hospital over wherever it was in Mississippi, he died. And as he died... He appears at the gates of heaven, but as he's crossing through the veil, this is what so startled me. As he's going through the veil from life to life, he has to go through the darkness. In this pitch darkness that he's in, although he's in pitch darkness, he sees a little scroll, a little thing going around. It is appointed unto man once to die. You ever read a scripture that said that? Sure, it's in Hebrews. It is appointed that the man wants to die. I saw that go around three times. It is appointed that the man wants to die. And then he said, I heard the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. Called his name and said, Howard, just stop breathing. Everything's going to be fine. He said, the most beautiful voice I ever heard. He said, I knew that was God. But guess who it turned out to be? The devil. It was not God. It was the devil. He said right there, the Lord revealed to me that the devil could not kill me until I spoke it with my mouth and gave him legal right. Or at least with a thought, I had to think, okay, Lord. He said the devil was trying to kill me. He was giving me Scripture to confirm that the, the Word of God was for me okay, but he said he was talking to me and I heard this voice just stop breathing. And he said, I was ready to stop breathing. But the Lord revealed to me that that was not him. So then he shows up at heaven's door. He passes through the veil and then he shows up at heaven's door and the angel tells him, if you go through that door, you can never come back out. So he said, Lord, I'm ready to come through this door. And he said, this booming voice came down over the wall. This is a Baptist preacher. 
He'd been a street preacher. He'd done all kinds of things. He thought for God. And he said, this voice come down over the wall and said, you didn't do nothing for me on earth. You did it all for yourself and you will get no rewards if you come through that gate. He said, Lord, I preached the gospel on the streets. I, pre- I was a preacher. I went to seminary. I did all these things for you. He said, no, you didn't believe my words. You didn't believe my power. You didn't believe I was a miracle-working guy. You didn't believe I'd done signs and miracles and wonders. He said, you didn't preach what I told you to preach out of my Bible. You didn't preach it. So he said, you, will, you can come in because of the blood of my son. But he said, you will get absolutely no rewards. And he was a Baptist preacher. He said, Lord, I don't want to come in like this. I don't want to come in like this. He said, Lord, please, let me go back and let me do something for you. I don't want to come to heaven with no rewards. So so the Lord said, okay, I will send you back. But he said, before I send you back, I'm going to send you on a trip of the spirit world. I want you to see how demons work. And he got to go through the demonic world. And one of the things that was so astounding to me, he said, I was in a hospital where my body was laying. But I'm alive. He said, here I'm standing there. He said, I walk up there and I walk right through a wall with an angel and said, there's a man and a woman standing there. And all of a sudden they had just told a joke and there's a punchline, which obviously I missed. He said, they were laughing. And he said, as they were laughing, the man was looking at the woman. And he says, all of a sudden, a thing like a green frog began to come out of the floor. I said, what is that thing? That's a demon of lust. A demon of lust. He said, it's growing. What's why? He said, it's growing because the man is looking at the woman and he's yielding to the thoughts the demon is putting in his mind. He's giving place to the thoughts about that woman. And if he's giving place to the thoughts about the woman, it's giving the demon power to grow. Now then, if you know these th- this is all written in the Word of God too. We just don't believe it. But the man continued to look into the eyes of the woman laughing thinking about sexual things. And as he's laughing, looking at her, this is in his thoughts. The demon gets bigger and bigger and bigger, big old ugly looking frog looking thing. And he said, all of a sudden, he gets right up against his face and and he disappears. He said, what happened? He said, he entered him. He now has a demon of lust. And said, that thing will control his life until he repents for those sins, and that thing is cast out of him, that demon of lust will control him. He will not be able to control his own thoughts. Isn't it amazing how the spirit world works? Wow. I looked through Howard and I said, hey, Howard, right here. Let me, I tapped him on the hand. I said, you get to be 50 or 60 or 70 years old. And all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, you've got a pain in the back of your hand. He said, oh, man, I must be coming down with arthritis. I said, when you say that, since Jesus said, whatever you say with your mouth, you'll have it. 
I said, when you say that, that was a demon there putting some pressure on your hand, wasn't it? He said, exactly right. And I said, when you give place to it with those thoughts or that voice, you give place to it. I said, it gives him a bigger hold, doesn't it? He said, absolutely right. I said, then the, the more pain he puts on you, the more place you give to it, to in that he's, my pain's getting worse, the greater becomes the arthritis until you get completely gnarled and turned and twisted and that demon has complete control of you. He said, that's exactly the way it works, Thurman. Exactly. Well, see, I'd already learned that. I'd learned that from God myself. That confirmed to me exactly how sickness and disease comes upon us. Now then, this last week, I had a young lady and her husband, which is a pastor in a church out close to San Francisco. They called me. She said, I have an immune, some kind of whatever disease she had. And there's a big center here in Dallas that takes care of this. One of the biggest ones in the country. She said, I got so bad, they decided, we'd prayed, we'd done everything, they decided to send me to this center. She said, I came down there and stayed, stayed about three months. I got better. She said, I went home. And I got worse. And so said, they sent me back. I came back here. And she said, I'm here in a, I think in a hotel or whatever she was staying. And she said, I was praying and seeking God. My husband in California, he was praying, he's pastor of a church praying and seeking God for my healing, when all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, I heard His voice, You are healed. She said, I heard that voice. Well, let me tell you, that's written in the Word of God in several places. I can let you hear it from God many times. I can turn to many places in the Scripture and read the same thing that she heard. You are healed. She said, Great, Lord. If I'm healed, I'll go down there in the morning and let them check me and let them confirm me. If what they say agrees with what you say, then I'll know I'm healed. That's where we live, folks. That's where we live. And she said, the Lord spoke to me and says, No, if I healed you, you don't need that doctor. All you need to do is go home. So she said, Okay, Lord. So she said, I went and got on the plane and I went home. She said, I went home and I feel great. I told my husband what happened. She said, we called three. They got a church. She said, about 150. She said, we have three deliverance ministers in our church. So she said, we called him and told him we wanted to sit down and talk to them about the experience I'd had with God. So she said, we did. And I told them what the Lord told me. And then he told me I was healed and I feel great. And so they all three agreed that what I needed to do was go to a local doctor and be checked and confirm that I was healed. And I agreed with it. And she said, I went. And I was feeling wonderful. She said, I went down there and the doctor checked me and he run the diagnosis and everything. And he come back, he said, no, you're not healed. You still have it, only it's worse. And she said, I'm telling you, the next day was the worst day I've ever had in my life. Do you see anything wrong with this picture? She is eat up with unbelief of God's Word, just like the rest of the church. Just like I was most of my life. We don't believe these promises. When God tells us something, we don't believe it. So anyway, she said, Lord, her and her husband both begin to pray, God, we don't understand these principles. We don't understand how you can say I'm healed and the doctor says I'm not healed. 
So we don't understand it. We need something or somebody or someone to teach us how these principles work. And then she says, by coincidence, just a few days after we prayed that prayer, somebody laid some of your CDs in our lap. I said, ma'am, that wasn't no coincidence. You prayed for that and God divinely laid those things in your lap. And so I talked to them an hour and a half on the telephone and taught them these principles and what she had to do. And her husband said, I understand you're coming to Southern California sometime in March. I said, that's what we have on the list. He said, if there's any way when you're out here, he said, I'd like to get two or three more churches together and I want you all to come up to uh, Concord, California, which is just northeast a little bit of uh, San Francisco and spend at least two days. He said, we have got to know what you've learned from God's Word. Everybody's got to know what the Word says if you want to walk in health. Now listen to God talking to you. Listen to what He says here. He speaks in dreams, in visions, in the night when deep sleep fall on people as they lie in bed. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with His warnings. You ever have a dream that terrified you? Huh? Hey, you need to listen to what that dream was saying, right? It says right there, God whispers in your ear during the night with His warnings and He terrifies you. He speaks to you in dreams and visions. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in here have ever had a dream? Now, if you didn't hold up your hand, you're lying. Everybody's had a dream. Probably last night. You know? Everybody dreams. Now, sometimes you don't remember those dreams, but if you have one that exceptionally sticks in your mind, you better write it down when you get up tomorrow to see what God's trying to tell you. Because He's got something planned for you. And then let me ask this question. Now, maybe everybody hadn't been here. How many of you have had what I call an open vision? Okay, praise God. Some of you have had that too. I've been very fortunate. I have had many of those in my life. Many of those. It's wonderful. Where I used to have my open visions is back in the engineering world. God used to show me how to design and build things. It just blow people away. Whenever I'd be able to design or build something and do something that was just absolutely wild. It's, how do you do that? Well, God showed me. He showed me a vision. How to do it. I mean, most of the world, even the church, most of them don't believe that. But the business world, they sure didn't believe that. But, you know, whenever... A group of VPs sends you to Chicago and say, we got a major problem up there. Will you go up there and see what you can do? And I go up there and spend two or three days and save them $990,000. You know, that even gets a VP's attention. When he says, how did you do that? I said, simple. Jesus showed me how to do that. Isn't that amazing? I've had so many of those kind of deals. I've God has just shown me. In the engineering world I used to live in, that's before I learned how to walk in faith and the heal with healing and all that stuff. I mean, God is interested in what you do. Whatever you do, He wants to be a part of it if you'll let Him. I mean, I don't care what you do. If you'll pray and seek Him, He will help you in your business. He will help you. He'll do wonderful things for you. And then He says here, after He terrifies you with His warnings, He causes them to change their minds and He keeps them from pride. Is pride a bad place to go? That'll kill you. Pride will kill you. It says, 
He keeps it. Well, oh, he even says that, doesn't he? He keeps them from the grave. He keeps you from pride. He keeps you from the grave. From crossing over the river of death. They, a lot of people don't know why they die. A lot of people don't know why babies die. A lot of people don't know why young people die. They get mad at God. Hey, your answer is right here in this book. I've read it. It's here. If you'll do what He says, you can live a wonderful, blessed life. Listen to what else He does after us. Now, those are some pretty awesome things He does there, isn't it? But here's another way He does it. It says, Or God disciplines people with sickness and pain with ceaseless aching in their bones, they waste away to skin and bones. Now, what does that sound like? Some cancers we see today. How many people have I dealt with when I walk in and there ain't nothing left but skin and bones? Now, who put that on them? Who put that on them? God did. Somebody said, God would never do me like that. Yeah, God's in control. I've come to realize through my walk with God, especially the more I study this book, there's only one that you have to make happy. And that's God, Jesus Christ. You make the king happy, he promises he will keep the devil from you. Yeah, the devil's the one that comes and does all these things, but the devil goes at God's command. Isn't that something? When I learned this from this book, I thought, wow, I don't have to worry about the devil. I don't have to worry about going around rebuking the devil all the time. All i got to do is make God happy. I make Him happy. Then look what He says here. They lose their appetite. They do not care for even the most delicious foods. Wow. Night before last, my honey bunny, she went out. And she knows I like coconut cream pie. She went down to Mama's Cafe. In fact, she knows that they make some of the best coconut cream pies in town. And she bought me a beautiful coconut cream pie and brought it out to the minister and said, this is for your birthday. And man cut me a great big piece. We got all these people standing around. And I said, anybody touches this pie? <laughs> no, I didn't really. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl says I wanted to. Yeah, that's probably true. I didn't probably want to. But anyway, we all ate a piece of pie, and then last night I go in there, and there was one big double piece left. And I go in there, and I take it out of the refrigerator, and Dave says, Are you going to eat that whole thing? I says, no, Dave, I'm going to cut it half in two and I'm going to eat half of it tonight and I'm going to eat the other half in the morning. <laughs> we only had another pecan pie, another peach pie, another apple pie sitting right there. And I know they all love pie, so I didn't, didn't prevent them from having all they wanted to eat. I just didn't let him have my coconut cream <laughs> Somebody said, well, that's not very much of God's kind of love. 
Lord, I'm sorry you had to forgive me for that. <laughs> but I wanted that pie, Lord, and I ate it. I ate one piece last night, I ate another piece today just before I come to church. Praise the King. Woo! I'll tell you, I love coconut cream pie. Oh, good, it sure is good. Then he says, oh, it says these people, after God puts this sickness and disease and they waste away to skin and bones, they are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't ready for an angel of death to come get me. Are you? Now then, what do you got to do to keep having an angel of death come to your door? What caused this? Sin. Sin. Sin is what caused this. And when you go on down, well, on down here a few verses down, about three or four verses on down, it says here, well, I'll just, I just keep on going right there. But it's a special messenger. Now, see, there's not very many of these guys around. There's not very many of these guys around. But if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person. Now, you know, there's sometimes you can be that special messenger and you can intercede, but God has already signed that person's death certificate. That's a shame. You know that? But you know, we need to be telling people so they don't get to this point that if they walk holy in obedience to God's Word and put Him first. This don't have to be the case in your life. You can walk with God. You can love Him. You can serve Him. And He will bless everything you put your hands to. But He says here, but if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person, to declare that he is upright, God will be gracious and say, set him free. It will become as healthy as a child's. Or it says, do not make him die, for I have found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. When he prays to God, he will be accepted, and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. He will declare to his friends, I sinned, but it was not worth it. Message there, isn't there? I sinned, but it was not worth it. See, we go over to the New Testament. I read this over and over and over where it says sin brings forth death. You know, I read, I didn't have a clue what that meant. I read it for years. As a Southern Baptist deacon, man, I knew those scriptures. But I didn't know what they meant. Had no revelation. Sin brings forth death. But I now know, you know, that when you sin, when you commit a sin, it sends a demon into your life and that demon starts hacking away at your flesh and he starts making you sick. And you start having problems. Now, if, if God's trying to tell you, if when His Word, you know, what's, what's, the wrong, what's the problem? But most people, you walk up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing today? Well, I'm sick. I say, you've got a sin in your life. You need to get rid of it. Well, what makes you think you know so much about this? Well, let me tell you, I've read the book. I've read the book. You know what the first thing I do if I even start to have a pain or a problem or anything? My first question, God, where did I miss it? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Because if I'm coming down with something, I've done something wrong. I am not walking in the God kind of love. I have sinned. Now, who sins? Everybody does. But you don't have to sin very much. And when you do sin, under the new covenant, if you sin, all you got to do is come to Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
I messed up. I will change. Will He forgive you? Yes, He will. Praise God. That's a good thing about the new covenant. He'll forgive you or restore you, and He'll make you like a brand new one. person. I have sinned, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. That's where, that's where, now let's go over and see in the new covenant. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The thing I, I want you to know that I, it took me a lot of years to learn this little secret. This statement I'm going to make to you, it took me a long time to understand this before I wrote this down. Hope is available to people without holiness. Hope is available to people without holiness. But faith is not. Faith is not. You must be holy if you want faith to work in your life. Now, why did God make it like this? Why? You know, when I begin to see this, I think about a lady that walked in here one day to a healing school. She walked in and she came over and said, Before the healing school starts, will you pray for my mother? I said, Well, ma'am, I pray at the end of the healing school. She said, I know, but I can't stay. I need to go. I said, Well, why are you in such a hurry? Well, she said, We've got some places we need to go this afternoon. But my mother heard you on the radio and she heard you say that Matthew eighteen nineteen says, If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. And you said, you guarantee God answers that kind of prayer. I said, okay, He does. And so I said, what, what, I, I just asked her, I said, what is your prayer request? She said, my mother wants you to agree with her that she'll win the lottery this next week. I said, ma'am, your mother, if she's buying lottery tickets, she's not walking holy before God. So she has no faith, and her faith will not work. So the two of us cannot be in agreement. It cannot work for your mother. <clears throat> I said, now you need to go find your mother. You need to tell your mother to come here and sit down in this chair for the next four or five hours and listen to me teach the Word of God this afternoon. And then when she lines up and does everything I'm going to tell you to do today, then if she's on a little journey, that if she'll continue there for probably five to ten years, maybe in five to ten years she can begin to develop her faith. But I said, it ain't going to happen for your mother overnight. Your mother is a carnal woman living in the world. If you're out buying lottery tickets and hoping you're going to get rich, you're carnal. You're living in the world. You know? I read an article in the Denton newspaper here a few years ago. And right on the headline says, Is winning the millions of the lottery the answer to your problems? And then it had an article of the last ten people that had won a million or more dollars. And you know what happened to a man and a woman had children, and he won the lottery. You know what he did? Divorced his wife, run off with his kids, run off with another woman, and in about two years, he was declared bankruptcy, and he's totally tone broke. And that's basically what... It was only one man still had a little money left. And the rest of them had destroyed their lives and everything. It's amazing, those stories. Is winning the lottery the answer to your problems? No. No. What's the answer to everybody's problem? God. 
He's your answer. When you find him and you really know him, I mean, I think. I see these three young men sitting up here on the front row, young boys. If I'd have had a daddy or a granddaddy like Ty that knew these principles, and I'd have been smart enough to listen to granddaddy, that's another problem. Granddaddies try to talk to boys, but sometimes they don't listen. They think they know more than granddaddy. That happens often. Guarantee. Let me tell you. When I was, I've been a young man. He's been a young man. He knows what I'm talking about. Oh, daddy, he's an old fogey or granddaddy. Good grief. You know, granddaddy. I mean, good grief. He's so old. You know, he don't know nothing. Your granddaddy has got wisdom that you don't even know exists when you're a child. Listen to granddaddy. Listen to daddy. But the greatest daddy we have is right here in this book. And he knows everything. And he wrote this book. And this is what we're going to be based on. And that's what our lives are going to revolve around. Whether you believe it or not, this is what's going to be the controlling factor in everybody's life. Now listen to what he says here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. When I talk about hope is available to people without holiness, but faith is not. And that's what's wrong with the church today. The church today has no faith. Because I was a member of a church as a Southern Baptist deacon, Sunday school teacher, and I never saw an answer to prayer. In fact, I didn't hardly ever even pray. I prayed a little, but I didn't expect God to do nothing when I prayed. But I was a, although I was a good man, I mean, I mean, I didn't do none of the sins of the world. I didn't lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery. I didn't do none of those things. But you know what my sin was? And God says it's one of the worst sins they are. Unbelief. That's exactly right. Whoever said that, that's exactly where I live. I did not believe the promises of this book. And when I don't live there, faith is not available to me because I'm not walking in holiness. But listen to what he says in Hebrews 12. Let's start with verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, a life of faith. Now, see, this is where we're supposed to live. A life of faith. We're surrounded by a great number of witnesses. And I can just see now. My daddy was not a man of faith. He was a, he was a good man. And he worked hard. I can remember when my daddy was 50 years old and I was 15 years old. He always worked on big, heavy bulldozers and all kinds of stuff, heavy equipment. And I come in one afternoon, Daddy's sitting there in his easy chair with, his, with that thing all laid back, and he's in pain. I can see it in his eyes. I said, Dad, he's 50 years old. I said, what's wrong with you? Oh, he said, Dad, son, I hurt my back today out there on that old dozer. I was, you know, lifting some parts out of that old transmission and said, I was trying to overhaul that thing and said, I just, I hurt my back. I said, well, Dad, what can you do about it? Oh, I said, I just took a couple of Anisons and go on. He said, son, you'll understand someday when you get to be 50, when you get to be old as I am, you'll see that pain is just a way of life. Well, let me tell you, I'm a whole lot past 50, and I learned something my daddy didn't learn, and I don't have any pains. I ain't had any pain since I've been 50 because I've studied and spent time in this work. My daddy didn't have that time to spend in the book. He could have taken that time, but he didn't. Now, my mother was a fairly good woman of faith, but still, I mean, she did read the Word a lot more than Daddy did, but she didn't know it and didn't believe it either. 
But I can see my mother and dad both right now. As I'm walking this faith walk, I can see them both. Now, I'm not pulling my string by no means. God is the one done this. But I can see my mother and my dad both as they look down at me and say, Go, son. Go. Walk that walk of faith. Keep it up. I didn't know these things, but God's revealed it to you. Keep up the good work for the kingdom of God. I can just see them up there, can't you? And that's what they want to be saying about you. We're surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. They're watching us. They're seeing what we're doing. So let us strip off every weight or every sin that slows us down. Let us strip off the weight or the sin. If you're running a race, do you want somebody to put a 100-pound sack of feed on your back to run the race? No, I want a pair of short shorts and a pair of titty shoes, don't you, Ty? I don't want nothing else on me. I mean, I don't want nothing to slow me down. Do you, Keith? No, we don't want nothing to show us that we want to be as light as we possibly can, right? So why do you think a runner goes out there and when he's getting ready to run in one of these marathons, you know, if this guy, what if this guy has been uh, eating too much and now he's up to 250 pounds and now he's going to have to run a, a, a mile marathon or something? Hey, he needs to go out and practice a little while. Do you know I have kept myself slim and trim, but did you know if I were to have to get out there and run a mile right now, I'd need I'd want, I'd want to practice a few days first. <laughs> Here a while back, transmission line broke on one of my pickups, and I was only four miles from the house. And I thought, well, no big deal. I didn't have a cell phone with me. I said, I'll just run to the house. Well, I trotted pretty fast, and I got two miles down the road. And after I got two miles, I said, Lord, this is nonsense. (laughs) I mean, two miles of trotting. I said, you know, I've got better things to do. I said, Father, and I just stopped on the side road. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said I could ask anything in your name, you do it. Now, did he say that? I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, send me somebody by to pick me up and take me home so I can go get some tools, come back, fix this vehicle. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. And all of a sudden, here comes a little van. Goes down, passes me by, turns around and comes back and pulls right up beside me, rolls the window down and says, Mr. Scribner, I don't think you're way out here for a walk, are you? I said, no, young lady, I am not. She said, she had her two babies with her. She said, I would be honored to take you home. I said, I would be honored to ride with you home. So I crawled in and as we started down the road, she said, you see my little son back there? Caleb. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I want you to know that your faith walk has changed my husband and I forever. Now, see, a few years ago when Caleb was a little guy, this was the mother that brought Caleb over to our house and asked Betty to keep her, keep, keep him. And she said, well, I don't, I don't want to keep any children. She said, well, Betty, would you please, for just a few weeks till I find a babysitter, I can't find nobody that can keep my boy. Well, okay, she said, I'll keep him for a little while till you find somebody. But three weeks later, on Thursday and when I come home, Betty said, honey, I have met my match. 
I said, what do you mean? She said, this baby, there's nothing, nine months old, there is nothing you can do to make this baby happy. He's crying, screaming, kicking. He won't sleep. He won't hardly eat. And she said, nothing you can do. said, if he goes to sleep, he sleeps 10 or 15 minutes after he's exhausted, and then he's up and going. I said, this is not normal. There he sat. I looked down. I said, Father. No, I take that back. He's already gone home that Thursday afternoon. I looked up and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, what is wrong with little Caleb? And immediately I heard the Lord say, tormenting spirit. Oh, okay. I said, thank you, Lord. So I said, now I know what's wrong with him. So the next morning, Mama brought him in crying. Mama was crying. Mama left crying. The baby's crying. Betty sat him down in a high chair. I walked over there and I got on my knees in front of that little guy and I reached up and put my hands on his shoulders and I said, you tormenting spirit of hell, I know you're in there in the name of Jesus. This little boy is nine months old. He has screamed and kicked all of his life. He has not slept. He just is not a normal child. But I reached up and put my hands on him because I'd asked the king what was wrong with him. And he told me, and he told me I had power and authority over that demon. I commanded that tormenting spirit, that demon of hell, to come out of him and go to the pit of hell and never go back. Never come back in him ever again in the name of Jesus. I turned him loose. I said, now I'm going to work. I guarantee you and Caleb will have a great day today. Now, do you hear any unbelief in anything I did there? See, I've moved into a different world. I used to live in that world of unbelief, but not anymore. I come home that afternoon, and the very first words out of Betty's mouth was, you ain't going to believe what happened today. That's where we all live. That's where she lived. I said, I know, you and Caleb had a good day today, didn't you? She said, it was awesome. Said he never cried no more after you left. Said he slept two hours. He had a good lunch. He slept two more hours this afternoon. He didn't cry at all today. He was perfect. Well, Mama picked him up. He wasn't crying for the first time in nine months. And so she took him home. And they're Baptists. They went to the Ponder Baptist Church. And Saturday and Sunday, Monday morning, when she walked back in, she said, What did you do to my son? Did you give him some medicine? Betty said, well, absolutely not. I would have never given him anything if that's your okay. She said, you gave him something. She said, why? She said, he's not cried all weekend long. For the first time in his life, he's been a perfect, normal little boy. What did you do? Betty said, well, Thurman prayed for him. She said, whatever he did, it worked. I told Betty, I said, why didn't you tell her I cast a demon out of him? She said, I'm not even ready for that. Although I was here and I saw it. But said, I don't live where you live. I said, I know that. But you know the church ought to live where I live. I live in the Word. That's where you need to live. This is what's available to you. Anyway, that mother, she said, my son has been perfectly normal ever since that day. She said, I now know what you did to my son. I know you cast a demon out of my son. So when we got to the house, she said, Mr. Scrivener, I only want one thing from you for pay for picking you up. 
I said, what's that? She said, I want you to lay hands on both of my babies and rebuke every demon of hell and pray that the Lord will bless those children abundantly in their life, which I did. Hey, that's where we need to be living, right? Look at this. This huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight or every sin that slows us down especially the weight or the sin that is really or easily hindering our progress. You want to know why we don't walk in power with God? Because we walk in sin. We walk in sin. We don't know what it is. You know, we we tell... Jokes that tells us where we live. We tell jokes about preachers. We think that's okay. We tell jokes about white people. We tell jokes about black people. We tell jokes about all kinds of things, don't we, Benjamin? You know, God said that's sin. You have to learn to watch your tongue. You know, children. I mean, I think of Philip back there. A young man that was an 11-year-old boy when I met Philip, 11 years old. Of course, his body was covered with warts and scars. You know what all the other kids at school call Philip? Warty. Where's that wart kid? You know, children are gruesomely cruel. Why? Because they're children of the devil. They're children of the devil. And you even take a child that's growing up that's come to know Jesus... If he had to spend a lot of time in God's Word, the devil is probably still controlling that child's life more than God is. You can tell where they live. You can tell by listening to their tongue. You can tell what they say. But that's not so not bad with children. But when you get an adult that's 30, 40, 50 years old, and the same thing comes out of their mouth. We want to know why there's no power in the church? Because we don't do what God says in His Word. We don't cast away all those sins. I can just imagine if I was running this race and it was a physical race instead of a spiritual race and another man just exactly my size and everything and we were pretty well equal and we were running together neck and neck for maybe one or two laps around the field and somebody comes me out, pulls me outside and says, hey, let me put this 30-pound pack on your back and you run again. I'm going to tell you, if you throw 30 more pounds on my back, that guy's going to beat me the next round. I can't run that same weight with 30 more pounds on there. That's why when you see runners out there, these guys and gals are sleek and lean and mean. There ain't no tummies hanging out on them people running them races. Ain't no flabby weights hanging around. I mean, if they're out there to win a marathon, I mean, they have practiced and kept themselves sleek and lean and mean. Have they not? I mean, the sleeker and the leaner and the more trim they get, the faster they can run. That's just a fact. So, this weight that we're talking about here, if you just throw one little sin in your life, you know what it's going to do to your faith walk? It's going to hinder you. It's going to slow you down. It may even stop you. You think, but God, this one little sin. Lord, I just can't live without this soap opera on Sunday afternoon. Or, Lord, I just can't live without that football game on Sunday afternoon. I can't possibly come to church on Sunday afternoon because the Cowboys started 12. Okay. Stay home and watch the Cowboys. 
But when you need something from God, don't come and ask Him for something. Because if you're putting the cowboys before Him, He's going to say, who are you? I don't know who you are. But Lord, it's my child. They're dying. He said, I can't have it. I ain't got no personal relationship with you. I don't know who you are. People get mad at God. God, if you was really real, you wouldn't have killed my child. He said, if you really believe my word, you would have made me for number one in your life. And then your child wouldn't have died. Then you could have come and asked me for something, and I would have done it for you. It's something, isn't it? People say, I don't believe this stuff. Let me tell you, this is written in the Word of God. Who was it a while ago that said he put the sickness and disease and the pain and the suffering on your bones, the cancer? Who put that on you in the book of Job? God did. Of course, who was the one that really made you sick? The devil. But God's the one sinning. He's the one sinning. When you start sinning, isn't that amazing? God would say, okay, Satan, you can go out there and you can do anything to Job you want to do, but you can't touch him. And Satan immediately came forth and he was the richest man in the world. And all of a sudden, he don't have a thing. He don't have a sheep or a camel or a goat. All of everything he's got's gone. He don't have nothing. Nothing. And how many of his children got killed? All ten of them. Wow. Because of Job's sin. He had a sin of pride. Pride killed his children. Pride made him lose everything he had. And then he repented. And then he was prayed for. And he prayed. And God heard his prayer. And God forgave him. And God restored him. Wow. But before all this happened, since that didn't get his attention, the devil came back. He still had that sin of pride. And so God said, this time, okay, Satan, you can attack his flesh, but you can't kill him. Did God say that? He sure did. You can do anything you want to to him. You can attack his flesh, but you can't kill him. What if God says, kill her? You in trouble. You in trouble. Yeah. So like I say, you've only got one you want to make happy if you want to live a good, healthy life. If you want to live a good, healthy life, make him, the king, happy. And if you do, things work out pretty good. Then he says here, After we get rid of all these sins, he says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In other words, don't run it for a week or a year and then say, oh, this is not working. I've been running this race now. This is not working. I haven't gotten my answer, so God's not hearing me. So I'm going to just stop coming to church and I'm going to start doing something else. You know how many people in the church do that? A big bunch of them. A big bunch. That's sad. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How can you run this race? Keep your eyes on the King. How do you keep your eyes on Jesus? Get in the Word. Just like when Dave learned that he was not giving God a tithe of his time Although he was reading the Word, but he really didn't have that intimate relationship with God. And that's why he had all the problem with his last baby and his wife. In fact, Dave thought yes, she was going to die this last time, the first time. She had lost so much blood, she was on the teetering point of dying. 
And Cheryl and I was there in that hospital room when he finally said, okay, we'll go to the hospital. And when we knelt down there to pray, I mean, Dave was begging God, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, Father, please, I will do anything if you'll save my wife. Please, Lord. He was begging. Did God hear his prayer? Yes, he did. Did Dave do what God told him to do? Yes, he did. And boy, he proved it to him on this last one. Wow, bam. A couple hours, we got a baby, no pain, everybody's doing great. Oh, man. Does it make a difference to do what God says? Ooh, it makes a difference. Oh, man, it makes a difference. Wow, it's so great, isn't it? Do what God says. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, that's what Dave's been doing. He's been keeping his eyes on Jesus. He reads the Word, studies the Word. He worships the Lord. And, and on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Who is the author of our faith? Jesus, from start to finish, from faith to faith. It's Jesus. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured. Now think about this. Most of us, when we get into grumbling and complaining, I go back to this verse often. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. I remember one day a woman. She come busting in my door. I had got this woman. This was a beautiful lady. She was married to a very good-looking man. And he was a six-figure income man working as a VP for a big corporation. I mean, you know, he's got the world on his mind. He's a Baptist, sorry, but he don't go to church hardly ever. He don't realize the importance of being in the Word of God. He's been deceived just like most of us. Well, he wasn't too good to his wife either, you know. Oh, he was married to a beautiful girl. He wasn't very good to her. So she had had all kinds of problems, had knee problems and everything else. And she heard about me and she comes to one of my healing schools and I got her to repent of all of her sins and I prayed the prayer of faith for her and God healed those knees. I mean, bam, at a healing school, both of them. She could just run and play and do all kinds of things. She was awestruck at what God had done. She'd never seen nothing do like this before. God's still the healer. He's a miracle worker. But He does great things and He did it for this woman. Well, now then, after she comes to several of my teachings, she gets on fire for Jesus, and she's trying to beat in her husband. She wants him to get here with her. How many of you women know you're fighting a losing battle? There's only one place you can go to beat it into your husband, and that's to the throne of grace, and ask Daddy to do it, because you can't do it. It don't make a difference. You say you got your knees healed. Okay, so you went down there. Some preacher prayed for you and your knees are better. Okay, maybe God did something. Maybe they just got okay. I mean, that's the way men of the world bleed. You know, you just got okay, honey. It wasn't the, wasn't the preacher. It wasn't God. You know, God don't do those kind of things anymore. Yes, He does for those that believe Him. So anyway, He had not been nice to her. He had verbally abused her. He never had physically abused her that I knew of, but he did verbally abuse her. He got pretty sharp with her a few times. One day she come running in our house. She just barely did knock on the door and come busting right in the kitchen, and I was in there drinking a cup of tea or something. And she's crying, and says, oh, my husband's been so mean to me. He's having you got to do something. 
I stopped and got up and I said, turn around. What? I said, take your shirt off. <laughs> what? I said, yeah. Take your shirt off. Permit. I'm not going to take my shirt off. I said, I want to see your back. What do you want to see on my back? I almost said, I want to see the blood and the, and the, and the gashes and the gnashes where he beat you and clawed you. I want to see how you've been abused. Why, she said, I mean, he ain't never hit me. I said, oh, well, then drop them stupid tears. I said, you ain't got nothing to cry about. He didn't physically abuse you. I said, look, get on her face and go to the throne of grace and let's kick these devils out of your husband and let's ask the Father in Jesus' name to move upon him and change him, bring him back into the church with you and begin to reveal these things to him in the name of Jesus. We knelt there and did that. I said, you get things done when you go to the throne. But I said, you don't get nothing done when you come in here screaming and crying, oh, my husband. I said, see, you're not going to the throne of grace and asking God. You're trying to do it yourself. I said, any woman hasn't learned a secret. You can't change your husband. She ain't learned nothing yet. All these women that married these guys said, well, he, he went to church with me a little before I married him, but I know he didn't. He, he, he said he's not a Christian, but I know if he marries me, he will become a Christian. Wrong. Wrong. If he wasn't a Christian before he married you, you can forget it. There's only one way you're going to make that guy a Christian. That's if you go to your daddy's doorstep. And when you go up there, you better make sure you're walking holy before him. Because if you're not walking holy before him, you can't come into his presence. So that's why another reason why so many people that pray don't ever get nothing. Because God's sitting there saying, who are you? Oh, you got a problem down there? Yes, Lord, I got a big problem. He said, I know, I caused it. I caused it. I sent that demon to torment you. Lord, you sent this sickness and disease to me. He said, yeah, you ain't been paying attention to me. I sent people by and told them what you needed to do and you wouldn't listen. I sent dreams and visions and told you what you needed and you wouldn't pay attention. You just kept right on sinning, doing all this bad stuff. It's like here a while back. I was asked to come over to Cook's Children's Hospital, a little 10-year-old boy laying there with cancer. That's sad when you see a 10-year-old laying there with cancer. I didn't feel like it was the boy's problem. The grandmother confronted me and said, would you go over to Cook's Medical Center and pray with my grandson? I said, I will only after I meet his mother and daddy. You know where you always find the sin? With mama and daddy. Just like standing right here one day, a young man and his wife walked up and he said, I heard about your ministry. I heard people get healed. I said, yes, sir. He said, I want you to pray for me. What's wrong with you? He said, I got a brain tumor. I said, okay. I said, how's your love walk with God? It's okay. I said, I turned and I said, how's your love walk with this woman? I said, this woman here beside you, your wife? He said, yes, sir. I said, how's your love walk with her? He said, okay. I turned to her and I said, how's your love walk with him and how's his love walk with you? She started crying. I said, there's a problem right here. You know, I said, obviously you and her are not in agreement. I said, you got some kind of unforgiveness here or something? He said, yes. I said, I don't want to know what the problem is, but you got to forgive her. He said, no, I ain't going to forgive her. I said, sir, that's why you got the brain tumor. 
because of your unforgiveness towards your wife. I said, you know, if you die in that, you're going to hell. Going to hell. He said, look. He said, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. It don't make it what I do. I'm in His grace. I can do anything I want to do, and I can still go to heaven. I said, boy, you swallowed a life in the pit of hell. I said, Jesus said in His Word, if you don't forgive her, He will not forgive you. And I said, He also said in His Word, because you didn't forgive her, that's why He sent this tormenting spirit. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, Jesus sent this tormenting spirit, and this tormenting spirit is messing with you, and He's giving you this brain tumor. I said, if you don't forgive your wife, you're going to die in that sin, and you're going to bust hell wide open. He said, I do not believe that, and I will never be back. And He walked right out that door, and I ain't never seen Him since. I am probably the only preacher he has ever met that told him the truth. What I told him, everything I said come right out of this book. Most people don't believe that if you don't forgive and you die in unforgiveness, that you will go to hell. But this book says you will. That's scary, isn't it? You know. But, of course, Ty has been to Africa at least three times, and they've talked to uh, Pastor Daniel down there, and he, he was a, a preacher, and he died in a sin of unforgiveness, and he spent three days in hell, and his wife wouldn't let him bury him, and by faith she called him back from the dead, and when he came back from the dead, that man's still alive today, and Ty and his friend, which has been down there three times since he's raised from the dead, have talked to him every time they go down there, and you can ask that guy, I spent three days in hell because of my unforgiveness toward my wife, and he said, are you going to... Hold any kind of grudge against anybody ever again? What do you think is? Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Nothing. I mean, I don't care what you do to me. I will not get in an unforgiveness with anybody for anything, not for a second. Scary, isn't it? Just think. If he hadn't had a wife, had such great faith, he'd be there. He'd be there forever. A preacher that preached the word of God. Died in a sin of unforgiveness toward his wife and wound up in hell. And the angel, of course, the story is the angel took Pastor Daniel to heaven and showed him where his dwelling place was going to be. What do you think was? He said, because this morning when you had the unforgiveness toward your wife and you got killed in that car wreck, now then I'm taking you to your final place and it's in hell because you didn't forgive her. The Lord cannot forgive you. So your eternal place will be in torment in the lake of fire. And he took him to hell for three days. Some people say, I don't believe that. Okay. Yep. You will remember it when you get there. You're absolutely right. So don't go there. It's in the Word. It's written in the Word. It's written there several places. So whatever you do, don't go there. And have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, His children? He said, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. I know all of us love discipline. We've got three fine boys here, and I know they love it when Daddy or Granddaddy gets the switch out. Don't you love it? You love it when He takes you swimming, right? Oh, you love it when Granddaddy takes you swimming or all He does good things for you? Oh, that, we like that, don't we? But discipline, nobody likes, right? No, I didn't like it either, son. 
I remember one time I, I knocked it. I don't know why in the world I did this. I don't even remember it, but my mother told me when I was a little boy one day, I was sitting there in a little bottle of toothpicks on the table. I reached up and just hit it and knocked it off the floor. Dad said, son, pick up the toothpicks. I said, no. He said, son, pick up the toothpicks or put them back on the table. I said, no. I don't have a clue. It must have been a devil of hell in me that day. <laughs> Only a devil could have done it. Mama said, Daddy, went over, got the razor strap and said, Son, pick up the toothpicks. You would have thought by this time I'd have got smart. I said, No. She said, He hit me about three times with that thing. said, Son, I said, pick up the toothpicks. And I said, No. She said, Daddy whipped me with that razor strap until he was ashamed of himself, and I never picked up them toothpicks. I, don't, I think that had to be a devil of hell. Why in the world would I be so stupid? I don't know. I don't know, but Mother said that really did happen. You know, why? I mean, why did I throw them off in the floor, number one? Why? It had to be a demon of hell in my body that was controlling me that day. It had to be. You know, I don't know why, we'd, but Daddy disciplined me, you know, and whipped me with that razor trip, and I never did pick up those toothpicks. I cried a lot, Mother said, but I didn't pick them up. So all I got to say... Don't go there. That was pretty stupid. So, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. And don't be discouraged when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves. And He punishes those He accepts as His children. Now then, if one of these young boys here did something, these are Ty's grandsons, I guess. Granddaddy will take care of his grandson. If one of these boys did something out in my place, I wouldn't say a thing. You know, because they ain't my grandsons. But granddaddy, I mean, if one of them, he's got a beautiful, nice, red, maroon airplane. And if one of these boys went out there and took a baseball bat and hit that on the side, I wouldn't do a thing to it. But I can't imagine what granddaddy might do. <laughs> you might get that baseball bat a hold of one of them, huh? <laughs> I can't imagine them doing such a stupid thing, but if one of them did, the reason he would discipline them is because he loves these boys. That is why he would discipline them. See, they're not my grandbabies, so I wouldn't do nothing to them if they beat up on his airplane. But he would, or break a window out of your house, or anything else. You know, that's, that's the way we are. As you endure this divine discipline, think about enduring this now. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is teaching you as His own, treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you are illegitimate and you're not really His children at all. Somebody said, well, God never disciplines me. Hey, if He don't discipline you, you need to find out maybe you don't know who He is. Or maybe He don't know who you are. You see, if you're His child and you're disobeying, He will discipline you, will He not? He will. Whenever He's disciplining you, when something happens, you know what the first thing you should do when discipline comes up on you, when you realize there's something happened to you, regardless of what it is, what kind of discipline it is. You know the first thing you should do? 
Well, repent's one thing. But then after you say, Lord, if there's anything I've done wrong, I repent. But the next thing you should say is, Lord, I consider this pure joy to be disciplined. See, now when's the last time when Daddy got the bells out and you said, Okay, Dad, I consider this pure joy. Go ahead and hit me. You know it was for your well-being. You know that? But see, that's what we don't, we don't do it like God says. He says, since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our Heavenly Father and live forever? If you submit to His discipline, you will live. If you don't submit to His discipline, you will die. And that's what so many people in the church today do not do. When the discipline comes upon them, instead of seeking God... And doing what he says, they do something else. And they die. I mean, I was in a home of a man here a while back. And I know the Church of Christ. So many of the Church of Christ do not believe in the power of God, just like the Baptists, the Methodists. Well, I should just say the church. But this man happened to be a good friend of mine. He was a Church of Christ. I went over to talk to him about something and I walked in, and he was watching Benny Hinn. And I walked in, and I said, well, praise God, brother, I see you're watching Benny Hinn. He said, yeah, I have to have some entertainment once in a while. I said, what do you mean entertainment? He said, I, I wonder what they paid those people to get out of them wheelchairs. I said, that, that, that's real. He said, no, Thurman, God don't do those kind of things no more. I said, boy, have you been deceived. I said, you mean you don't believe that God does miracles and healings anymore? He said, no. I said, how long have you known me? Oh, he said, I've known of you for at least 20 years. I said, okay, let me tell you just a couple of little things that God has done for me. And I told him just a couple that was not really what I consider significant miracles, just little ones, because I knew he couldn't go there with me on the big one. I didn't even start out telling about Caitlin's miracle, because I knew there was no way he was going to believe that. But I started out with some little things. He looked at me and said, Thurman, I've known you a long time. I've never known you to be a liar. But he said, I don't believe that. I said, see, that's why you don't see God do anything. Here I am, a man of God that you know, that you can trust. You've never seen me do anything wrong. I've never cheated you, never told you a lie, never done anything except walk in integrity, upright before man and God. And I said, I come in and tell you something, and you tell me now you don't believe it. I said, but these are just minor things that I've seen God do. That same man, the Lord told me to go see him and ask him if he's tithing. Well, okay, God, you know, just as he kept him kind of personal. So he owned a big business. I walked in and I said, I got a question I want to ask you. Okay? I said, are you tithing? His wife jumped and said, Thurman, it's obvious you haven't read the New Testament. I said, what do you mean? She said, under the New Covenant, under the New Testament, we don't have to tithe. I said, what did you base that on? She said, well, the Old Testament said we're supposed to tithe, but the New one says we don't have to. I said, do you have a scripture for that? Well, she said, no, I just know we don't have to. I said, 
I knew one right off the top of my head. I said, you, you know Matthew 23, 23? She said, well, no. I said, why don't you turn over and read it? And, of course, Matthew 23, 23, just like the one in Luke, Luke says the same thing. Jesus is talking. He said, we're supposed to tithe of everything. Everything. I mean, not just money, but everything. Time and everything. And I said, you're not doing that. She said, well, uh, we don't believe that. I said, but, ma'am, that's what the Word says. And she said, we don't believe that. They didn't tithe. And within six months after God sent me over there, a man that was very affluent, had an airplane, had all kinds of stuff, was stone broke and working for somebody else. Isn't that amazing? Why? You reckon he'll ever be successful in life? No. Why? Because he don't believe the book. He's a good man. Good friend of mine. But he don't believe the book. Wow. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in His holiness. You know, when you get enough pain and suffering put upon you, you can learn how to be holy. You know it? Now, some people don't ever learn that. But those that do, he says, those that learn from their pain and suffering that it was a judgment of God that come upon me. And I need to change some things. I will walk holy before you. When you learn that, we will share in His holiness. Now, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterwards, there will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Is that where you want to live? Do you want to live in a quiet harvest of right living? That's where I want to live, don't you, Tom? Guarantee for those who are trained in this way. What way? The way of holiness. The way of holiness. When you walk in obedience to His Word, you walk in a God kind of love. I'm telling you, without walking in holiness, no man shall see the Lord. The Scripture says so. Nobody can walk in faith. You can say everything you want to. That's just like the other day when that lady walked in. In fact, Vernon Cannon, Ty was here that night. They came to a healing school. He's 77 years old. Vernon came up to me after the end of the healing school. They're from Hobbs, New Mexico. And he says, Brother Thurman, have you ever seen God heal? Or do you think God can heal dyslexia? I said, nope. I know He can. I know God can do anything. He said, I've had dyslexia 77 years. He said, I can't read. The words don't line up on the screen. He said, will you pray for me? I said, I will. And I did. And I said, he said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to go now and begin to worship and praise the King and thank Him that I can see perfect in the name of Jesus. I said this over and over. I said, Lord, thank You. I can see perfect. So, of course, he's going and saying that. So, everybody around him, you know, thinks he can read perfect. Somebody said, well, read that for me. He said, well, I can't read it. I said, well, you've been saying. You can read perfect. He said, well, that's what Thurman told me to say from the Word. So, Lord, thank you. I can see perfect. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I can see perfect. Two and a half months later, he was standing in church on Sunday morning, and he looked up and he said, 
Wow, they must have got some new screens. Wow, Lord, thank you. I can see perfect. And he said, right before my eyes, every word fell into perfect order in place. And I could see and I could read perfect. I'm saying, thank you, Lord. I can see perfect. Of course, you know, saying the same thing been said two and a half months, so nobody's excited. He goes to dinner, reads the menu. Thanks the Lord. He can read perfect. We get home. He tells his wife, I said, honey, I can read perfect. She said, okay, okay. He said, no, really? I really can. She reaches over and gets her Bible and says, read that for me. And he read it. And when he read it, she jumped and screamed and hollered and said, you can really read. But he'd been saying that for two and a half months, hadn't he? And it came to pass. So then she hurt her wrist. And they both prayed over that wrist. For three weeks they prayed over that wrist. And it didn't get no better. On Tuesday morning, a few weeks ago, she woke up. Now Deborah was here. She was. She saw this whole thing. She said, we're going to Dallas to have Thurman pray for my arm. So they came from Hobbs, New Mexico, drove all day long and got here just exactly in time for church. Walked in the door and she said, my arm been hurting me for three weeks, but I know if you pray for me, Jesus will heal me. I reached up and put, touched her and said, in the name of Jesus and the King. Instantly healed her, just like that. That night we got to see both of them give their testimony. She gave hers and he gave his. And Ty talked to him, Ty being a doctor. He says after they left, he said, Thurman, what that man got is totally a miracle from God. What he got is impossible for doctors to heal. I said, but Ty, you and me both know we serve a God that can do anything. Don't we? Amen. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to praise and worship the King and walk holy before Him. If you will make that decision, Lord, I am going to walk holy before You. I am going to walk without sin. I am going to spend time with You. I'm going to get in this Word. I'm going to walk holy in Your presence. And Lord, then You said, if my words remain in You, and if You remain in me, I can ask You for anything and You will do it for me. And He means that. And He will do it for you. But it requires an intimate time every day with the King. And boy, it paid great dividends for Dave and Yesha last night. Wow. What a difference from two years ago when they had their first baby to this one last night. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise You and thank You for the privilege to have this magnificent book that we have called the Word of God. To be able to read it and study it. And that way I know what you like. And I know what you don't like. And all i got to do is what you like. And when I do, when I please you, then I don't have to worry about nothing else. You will protect me. You will keep me. A thousand shall fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. But it shall not come near me. And no sickness and no disease shall come near my dwelling place, this temple, this body that I live in. All i got to do is make you the King of kings and Lord of lords and put you first in everything I do. And Lord, help me to walk there. Help me to continue to walk there. But Lord, help everybody in this place to walk there so they can walk holy and obedient to your word. So whenever there is a trial and test in their life, they can come to you on behalf of the word and see you do great and mighty things. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the magnificent word of the living God that you give to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for this last year of 2006. 
Lord, I'm going to thank you. It's the greatest year of giving that the Living Savior Ministries has ever encountered. Lord, we have given away more media, more teachings, more miracles, and more healings from you in this year of 2006 than we ever have in the past. And Lord, we're grateful. We are so grateful that, Lord, we're sending this stuff all over the world, free and postpaid now. And, Lord, you're paying. Lord, I might say we thank you for being such a giver to give all the resources that we can do this because, Lord, you're the one that gives it to us. And, Lord, without you, we could never, by not selling nothing, we could never accumulate the $10,000 a week that I need to pay all the bills, to pay all this. But, Lord, that's about what it's costing us every week to keep this ministry going, about 10000 a week. And, Lord, you're paying the bills every week. And, Lord, we're so grateful. May the people be touched as we send this information out all over the world because you're the one that's on the other end of it because it's your word. You're the one that's blessing them. You're the one that's setting them free. You're the one that's healing them. You're the one that's saving them. You're the one that's delivering them. We're just teaching your word. That's all we're doing. And Lord, we're grateful. So grateful to be a part of your ministry that you put together. May you bless everybody that's here today. May you bless everybody that's here for this next year. And may this next year be even greater, mightier, beyond my wildest dreams. May we increase. May we have to increase the ministry center, increase the equipment, increase the number of people, the shipping and everything, so that more people can be touched this year. And Lord, whenever people want it, we'll send it. Wherever they call us to go, we'll go. Lord, we don't care where it is. We don't care where in the world you send us. We've made, I made a decision and a promise to you, Many years ago, in 1979, when you saved my life, that day whenever you told me to get out from under that steel, and I walked out, and two seconds later it fell, and I would have been killed if I hadn't obeyed you that day. I made you a promise. That day, Lord, I'll go anywhere you send me and do anything you tell me, and I won't never say no to anything you tell me to do. And, Lord, I still mean that. Lord, use us all this year for your glory. And increase it beyond our wildest dreams. Lord, I know your arm's not getting short. I know you're the great and mighty God. And with you, nothing is impossible. So, Lord, may we see you do greater and mightier things this year than we've ever seen before. Because only you are worthy. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.